Blood Brothers Podcast, a Five Pillars Production. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, my dear brothers, sisters, friends, and the foes out there, and welcome to season two of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host, Didi Hussein. Today's episode, to kick off season two, we have three very special guests. Three guests that have actually joined us during our COVID-19 series last April and May. The reason why we're having them on today is because there's a huge discussion and debate surrounding uh, the Islamic permissibility, the medical safety of the various COVID-19 vaccines that are out there. And our first guest is a cardiologist um, from Blackpool Hospital, and that is Dr. Bilal Patel. Dr. Bilal, Salaamu Alaikum. Wa Alaikum Salaam wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. Dr. Bilal, how are you? Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, good. I remember last time you were on the show, you were quarantining. You weren't exactly in the best of physical state. Do you remember the last episode? That's you, right, that's you, right. You were locked up in one room and you'd yeah. been quarantined for about five, six, seven days. Uh, but mashallah, you still delivered a solid podcast. How are things with you and your family? Things are well? Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Yeah, they're all right. It's been a tricky couple of weeks. A lot of family members have been ill, but Alhamdulillah, they're all better now. Um, May Allah grant them full so shifa, inshallah. So today's podcast, Dr. Bilal, um, is about vaccines. And believe it or not, I'm going to try my best to represent the anti-vax uh, community as much as I can. But they'll probably slate me off this episode anyway. But look, we have a vaccine rollout policy as we speak. Uh, the last number during the time of the recording of this show, 4 million Brits have been given the vaccine, right? Uh, but naturally... When the issue of vaccines come up and like we had with the whole 5G madness and the nature of the pandemic and so forth when it first started, there were lots of conspiracy theories and other things that were appear to be genuine concerns. Let me ask you first and foremost, right? How important is it to take the vaccine if you definitely fall within the vulnerable category? Yeah. So I think if you fall in the vulnerable category then I think it's really important, particularly now, you know, that we've got this, um, uh, the second wave coming in and, and really the numbers now far exceed what we were dealing with earlier on, sort of last year. Um, and so, you know, I'll just give you a bit of perspective. So, you know, um, when the vaccine came out, I was getting a lot of questions from, you know, family members, community saying, look, uh, what do you think about the vaccine? Should we take the vaccine? Um, and I had to say, you know, give me a few days and I'll get back to you because I could have given the typical, um, you know, straightforward answer saying, well, I'm a doctor and you should have it full stop. But um, I went and, you know, I did my, my research, um, not only on the science, but on the Islamic perspective as well. Mm. And after doing all of that, you know, I came to the conclusion that certainly when you're offered the vaccine and at the moment, only those being offered the vaccine are those at high risk, vulnerable and um, people... Um, in sort of high-risk professions. So if you fall under them categories, my advice has been um, to those groups of people that you should go and take the vaccine. And that's after really, you know, looking quite deeply at the science and from the Islamic perspective as well. Okay, so before I pick your brains a little bit about what you found in terms of Islamic research, let me just posit the following to you, right? From your knowledge, uh, Dr. Bilal, how long does a vaccine generally take from the process of research putting it together, uh, uh, sorry, I don't know what the medical terms are, so you're going to have to forgive me for that. 
What, how long does it usually take? I'm sure it doesn't take six months. What's the usual process for, for a vaccine to yes. come out? Yes, so normally you're looking at a few years, you know. I mean, normally it's going to be around five to ten years for a vaccine to come onto the market. Yeah. So if so, those who have stated how quick the, the vaccines have been made, would you regard that as a genuine concern? Yeah, so I think, um, and I think, you know, we've got to be honest that there are a lot of genuine concerns with the vaccine. Um, and hence, I think it's really important to, to actually tackle these concerns um, head on. I think it is a genuine concern because normally it takes so long. Uh, the natural um, question people are going to ask is, well, how come all of a sudden, you know, mm. these vaccines have come out in the space of 12 months where normally it takes, it take year, it takes years? Mm. Um, and I can answer that question for you. Go for um, it. Let's hear you it. So, so at the moment, you know, we are dealing, and you hear this term all the time, unprecedented situation or unprecedented times um, where you've got a global pandemic, which has really affected the whole globe. And when you've got a, a crisis that large, what we found is that the collaboration um, between you know, countries, groups, scientists has been far bigger than anything before. Mm. Just to give you a bit of insight. So you know, if, if I wanted to do a research project on a new drug or something, it would take me months, if not at least a year, to get authorization to even start the first part of the study, which would be the phase one part of the trial. And mm. normally you have a phase one trial, phase two, and then phase three, which is a larger trial, and and then you will publish that data, and then you apply for FDA or MHRA approval. So there's a long process. So first of all, with this pandemic, what's happened is that you've a lot of bureaucracy and red tape has been taken away. So normally, any research you want to do, the first hurdle you come to is the red tape, which yeah. is takes a long, long time. And what's happened is for research on the vaccine, that's been taken away altogether. So people have had approval to start the studies very quickly. Secondly, the phase one, two and three trials are normally done. Um, you do phase one, then you wait, you look at the data, you do phase two and you look and then you do phase three. So this whole process takes several months, if not years. And here, they've all been done simultaneously as well. Dr. Bilal, if I can interject then, yeah? Isn't it a case then when the bureaucracy and the red tape has been removed, when countries are collaborating more so than they would in a normal situation, isn't there now a more greater exposure and vulnerability to, to oversights and mistakes in getting the vaccine right? So you, what we have to understand is that when you do um, research and when you're doing um, you know, large-scale studies, which we're doing and have been done, mm. just, you know, normally when you develop a drug, you might test it on a few thousand people. Um, for the vaccines, it's been tested. I mean, in the studies, the 70,000 people, which is far greater than any other drug um, that you've had. Also, the if anything, your um, scrutiny is far greater because this is something that you're going to roll out worldwide on a mass scale as well. And, you know, the, the MHRA, um, which is the body that we have in the UK, is very yeah. stringent in looking at safety and, and regulation as well. So on the one hand, yes, it has come very quickly. Um, on the other hand, um, there is a very large level of scrutiny, not only on the studies, but also on the ongoing patients that have had it. So, you know, so to date, 17.5 million people globally had the vaccine. And mm. this was, sorry, at the end of the first week of January. Yeah. And all that, you know, were, there's very close monitoring for safety, very close monitoring for side effects, very close monitoring throughout. Let me ask you something, Dr. Bilal. Look, um, I don't mean to cause any disrespect, disrespect to you or our guests that are going to come after you. 
But isn't the kind of response that you've just given to me expected from someone who works within uh, the NHS field? So, so basically, in, 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 in colloquial terms, you are an establishment man. You would say this. This is You're in yeah. this industry. They pay your salary. So isn't, it's your fighter to push for the vaccine, as will Dr. Saima, who is going to come after you, and as will Dr. Abdul Wahid after you. You guys are doctors. So you're going to say this, surely. Yeah, so, so I, I, I love your question there, you know. Yeah. So first of all, um, and I think, you know, you've got to understand, so from my perspective, I'm not somebody who the vaccine comes and said, yes, give it to me, I'm going to have it. Because I wanted to do my own research first for the exa exact reason that you've said, because yeah. a lot of people are going to come and ask me and they're going to say to me, Dr. Bilal, you've only taken it because you're part of the establishment. And I wanted to be able to give them an answer, you know, saying, well, actually, that's not the case because I myself had my own doubts. I've gone and looked into that. And this is the conclusion that I've then come to. What so, were yeah, those doubts? What, what, what were those doubts, if you don't mind me asking? What were some of those early Sorry? doubts? What were some of those early doubts that you had? Yeah, so the early doubts were exactly as you said, you know, a vaccine normally takes years to come and it's come mm. out all of a sudden. Um, the follow-up period, you know, for the studies is relatively short. How do you know what the sort of the long-term effects are like? Um, you know, can we sort of, um, uh, you know, trust the big pharmaceutical companies, you know, all these things which general public have got, you know, although we, um, we're part of the establishment, the medical profession, but at the same time, when I answer somebody, I've got to be honest in my answers, you know, and so after looking at these um, in great detail, there are some concerns, but overall, um, I'm able to answer um, them, you know, when people question me now, um, and there is fire in it, of course there's fire in it for me, because if more people get vaccinated, it means that, you know, our hospitals are not going to be overflowing. We're going to have less people. We're going to have to say, we're sorry, your loved ones have passed away. Um, we're going to have less trouble within our own communities. So that's my personal fight that I've got. No doubt there's a personal benefit in this. Mm. Um, there's no financial benefit for me. I think you've got a couple of GPs coming on afterwards uh. and you can ask them, you know, that the rumours on the streets are they're making lots of money out of this. <laughs> but I'll let, I, I'll let them answer that question, um, you know, um, for you. Yeah. Uh, so what has your Islamic research uh, told you in terms of the permissibility of the vaccine? Because the kind of claims that are being circulated, first and foremost, apparently on the NHS official website, or on the gov.uk website, I'm not sure which one, but there is a clause there that says that if you die from the vaccine, you can make a claim up to £200,000. There's also a disclaimer, which I read, I don't know which one, whether it's Pfizer or the other one, about that they cannot conclusively tell you whether it'll affect your fertility, right? And there's obviously more wilder claims to do with, oh, it's got um, pork uh, extracts in it and so forth. What have you found from me? Are any of the things which I've just said to you, any, is there any truth to any of that? Okay, so, so let's start off with uh, the easy ones, okay, in terms of permissibility, in terms of substances. So um, at the moment in the UK, there's two vaccines. There's um, the Pfizer yep. and the AstraZeneca vaccine. The Pfizer vaccine is fully synthetic. There's no animal products in it. There's, um, uh, you know, it, it, there's no issues with it full stop in terms of the Pfizer vaccine. Although some people may say, well, actually, you know, they're, they're genetically um, uh, modifying you, you know, mm. using that. And actually what this vaccine is, is it's got um, a piece of mRNA, which is a code, which goes into your cell. Your cell produces the spike protein and then your body recognizes this 
and mm. produces the antibodies. So actually, when you're infected with the virus, your body can fight it. Um, okay. So, you know, that's how it works. And then you've got the other one, which is the Astra one. So there's no animal products in either of the two vaccines. Um, in the Astra vaccine, there is an absolute minimal, and it's 0.002 milligrams of ethanol, um, which is less than you'd have in a slice of bread or in a banana. Okay, yeah. so um, there's... Um, and many scholars have looked at this and they've given um, rulings that from an Islamic perspective, it is permissible to take the vaccine. They have indeed. Um, across most schools, all schools, Sunni, Shia, they've all, generally it's been the overwhelming push from the ulama in the West and the East has been obviously pro-vaccine, right? Um, but what about stuff pertaining to fertility? So regarding, regarding fertility, so the question from this comes from the fact that the the spike protein, which is on the virus, um, consists of different amino acids. And it's a code. And that there is some similarity in that code with one of the um, proteins that is on the placenta. So, um, and I think somebody raised the concern saying, well, you know, um, this is a conspiracy, a global conspiracy to cause infertility. And this is how they're going to cause it. And population control. Have, you know, population control over mm. there. So... Um, what you have to understand is, though, it's, it's um, a code. So if you imagine an alphabet and, you know, with 27 letters, you can juggle them letters up in one way or you can juggle them up in another way. And, mm. you know, you've got some of similar letters juggled up in a different way on the protein on the placenta. Mm. If this was true, for example, that if you took the vaccine, it would cause infertility in the same way getting the COVID um, infection would also cause infertility. And they've not found any increase in infertility or miscarriage, for that matter, in women who have had COVID um, infection. And to date, there is no evidence that it causes infertility. Um, the Royal College of Midwives and Royal College of um, Obstetricians and Gynecologists put a statement out to this effect as well, that there's no evidence to support this. And the other, the other thing to see is that, you know, at this moment in time, people of childbearing age are not going to be asked to come forward for the vaccine unless they fall in the high-risk groups, which realistically is going to be several months down the line. And by that time, with millions and millions of more people being vaccinated, we'll have more information there. Um, regards your question about, you know, if you look on the NHS website, it says that if you have a problem, we'll give some compensation. And, you know, you're right that the, the drug companies have got some sort of indemnity um, I think what we have to take into consideration is, you know, yes, there is distrust of Big Pharma and it's understandable why there is with things that have happened in the past. So, you know, we can't just brush that under the carpet. But when we're developing, when it comes to development of vaccines on this mass sort of scale, you're not going to get the pharmaceutical companies coming forward without this. And also the government, in essence, what happens is the government has taken liability, saying if anyone does have long term problems, they will provide compensation. But this is not something new. This has been there for a long time regarding vaccinations okay well so bringing your segment to a close look the anti-vax community whether we want to acknowledge it or not is becoming increasingly loud and mainstream especially in the states in north america the anti-vax community has within it as part of the movement senior medical professionals very educated professors and so forth right how do we distinguish how are we as muslims supposed to distinguish between Obviously, we know that we have principles of verifying and authenticating news and information. Uh, we have principles within our jurisprudence um, of uh, assessing and weighing up uh, tangible harms and benefits, uh, the importance that we stress on the preservation of life. These are all 
normative Islamic principles that we have and, and very much apply in this pandemic situation. But where does a Muslim's critical thinking fall between genuine concerns raised by the anti-vax community and wild conspiracy theories, which quite frankly cannot be substantiated in any shape or form? What would your advice be to Muslims who find themselves in this pickle? I think, you know, um, I'd go back to our, our, the principles, you know, that we have. And, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala advises us, um, you know, in um, Surah Nahl Nabi saying, you know, if, if you don't know, go to those who have knowledge. Um, and the advice for the general community is that, you know, if you want to know about the knowledge, it's no point getting you the knowledge from a WhatsApp circulated by, you know, several times um, by we have no idea. You know, we have people within our communities, we've got scholars who have got good medical background. A lot of work has gone on um, amongst the physicians and the ulama as well. You know, the British Islamic Medical Association has come up with two documents on both of the vaccines going through these concerns, um, you know, that people have. So I would go to those who know. Mm. Secondly, I mean, the other thing is, you know, do not become a part of spreading the false, you know, the, this um, sort of conspiracies. Because at the end of the day, when a piece of information comes to you, you know, you have to, again, looking with Islamic principles, you've got to verify the information before spreading it on. Otherwise, you become a part of the fitna. And then as a consequence of your actions, you know, you're going to have households or families or people in the community saying, well, oh, I've read this and I've seen this. Now my, you know, my mum or my dad who was going to go for the vaccine is now worried and they're vulnerable and now they're not going to go for it. And I think it's really important that... Um, one, we verify the knowledge. Two, mm. we go to those people who have the knowledge and we uh, and these people who also have, you know, the Islamic knowledge as well um, before coming to a conclusion. Now, I'm not saying to everybody, look, you know, um, blindly just go and take the vaccine. What I'm saying is that at least do your research. Don't fall for the, you know, all the conspiracy theories that are out there and come to um, and come to your conclusion. However, do not be that you know do not be putting people off who are at risk and vulnerable because at this moment in time the people that are being offered the vaccine are those who are at the greatest risk and the vulnerable and often what you'll find is the people that are spreading the rumors are those that are not at risk this is the young you know the youngsters mm. so even if they were to get covid most of the time they'd be all right the ones that are suffering are the most vulnerable in our community and we've just seen over the last you know six weeks i mean i have to say I was not expecting what we're seeing today, you know, in the hospital, in our communities. I thought by November, the Northwest had had the worst of it. And now what we're seeing, the number of janazas going on, cemeteries being filled up. Um, Incomparable to last March, April, May? Yeah, it, 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 we're in a far worse situation to last, um, you know, April, May. Um, if you remember, I put the video out um, around that time for the fear of actually what is going on on the ground now. And now we're seeing... Um, you know, real devastation um, amongst, you know, amongst communities. You know, you're seeing, again, I'm seeing WhatsApp um, videos passed around about, oh, look, these hospitals are empty. Um, and I, you know, advise anybody spreading these messages first, come, come to intensive care, have a look. You won't be able to go in because of the restrictions, but, you know, anyone who works there, speak to them and they'll tell you the situation on the ground. Mm. Dr. Bilal, thank you very much. Jazakumullah khair for your time. It was great having you on. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect you and your family, keep you safe in these testing times. And we look forward to having you on again in the near future outside of this uh, situation, inshallah. 
Thank you very much. And, I, and I'm also very confident that you'll give me a good run for my money in an arm wrestle. I just got a feeling. Yeah. Your, your frame yeah. tells me that. And your smile, uh, know, your, you know. your, your smile <laughs> tells me that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was great having you on. Take care. Keep us in your du'as. Jazakallah. Thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. For our next guest, we have someone else who had great honour uh, in joining us during the COVID-19 series. Uh, someone who is very active uh, in the Muslim activism scene, especially in the north of the country, but who also happens to be a GP and whose contributions and advice in the previous episode she featured in was of great benefit. And that's none other than Dr. Saima Iqbal from Manchester. Saikum Saima, how are you? Walaikum salam, Dili. I'm good, thank you. Um, I feel so guilty about getting you onto the show, knowing that you've been, you've having such, you're so overworked and how, how much you've been uh, consumed by the pandemic. Jazakallah khair. No problem. No problem. You've caught me at a time when I'd be doing my cooking right now, but yeah, go on. What's being cooked today? Today, yeah. um, boneless chicken salad. Okay. okay. Then I'm doing gima rice. Okay. And I've got some um, gosh with peppers, but there you go. <laughs> And, and that's after, what, having a five, six day working week? It is, but someone has to feed the children. And being a traditional household, my husband can't cook. Love it. <laughs> that's Absolutely another podcast it. in itself. <laughs> How's work been since the last time we spoke? How's work been? Um, it's been hectic. It's been quite busy. I think, you know, 2021 came and I thought it will be a little bit easier. But then the vaccination rollout happened. And to be honest, trying to organise that, and we work as a group of GP practices to mm. get a vaccination hub set up. It has been um, very time consuming, especially as you still have patients who you, you know, the, the government kind of advises put routine kind of work on hold whilst we're doing the vaccination, but you can't really because patients have struggled with their problems for a long time now and they're frustrated as well and that you know they're frustrated by the delay in being seen by secondary care with their problems ongoing so we're trying to manage both you know patient day-to-day -day problems and also rolling out or being part of the vaccination program as well that little mini speech that you just gave there literally was identical to the opening speech that you gave when we spoke last year i'll tell you what the difference was Last year, you said to me, look, we still have to prioritise those who have genuine, not prioritise, we still have to factor in those who have genuine illnesses against those who are suffering from COVID. But now you're saying it's those who need vaccine against those who have genuine problems, right? Yeah. So you seemed pretty exhausted and you said it yourself, you were tired and, and you know, you were overworked. That was back in March, April, May. How's it been this time around comparatively? I think, do you know when they say you've got to be quite resilient as a doctor, but there are times, you know, where your resilience kind of wavers a little bit. I'm very tired um, trying to manage everything, as I think everyone is. And it does take a bit of a toll on your mental health as well, because you're trying to, you know, um, provide services, be strong for your staff, family, keep everything going. And I think what what's upset me a lot recently, I've got to be honest, is when you're trying to do your best for patients, and you're getting, especially around vaccinations, and then you get responses which are brought about by people listening to misinformation and myths. And it's really upsetting because you feel like you're up against this wall where you're trying to help people and you're getting that back. So we'll get, we'll get to the whole kind of misinformation and, and, and stuff pertaining to the vaccine. But before I move on to that, right, um, you've taken the vaccine, of course, yeah? Uh, which one have you taken? I had the Oxford 
Okay, did you have a choice between the Oxford or the Pfizer? Did you have a choice? No, well, I would have picked the Pfizer, but because of underlying health issues, I had the Oxford. My, both my parents had Pfizer and my husband had Pfizer, so we've had all of them between us. And is one better than the other? I wouldn't say one's better than the other. I think they're both very similar. If you look at some of the data about how, how well, you know, how efficacy, about the efficacy of the vaccines, I think the Pfizer is around 94, 95% and the Oxford is around 90%. So there isn't too much of a difference between the two. Okay, so since you've taken the vaccine, you've not felt yourself, you know, mutating or becoming some kind of X-Man or something? No, I've got to say the Wi-Fi reception in my house is exactly the same, okay? <laughs> if Bill Gates has microchipped me, he's going to be really disappointed because my <laughs> life is quite boring at the moment, yeah. okay? Um, but you do, I mean, I've had side effects after the vaccine. That's to be expected, like, you know? Like? like? So I had side effects. I was really boasting the next day that I didn't have side effects. So I had it on a Monday evening. Right. And on Tuesday, I was really proud. I've got no side effects. Told everyone at work how strong I was. And then, um, because I actually wanted a day off from work, okay. I planned not to go to work on Tuesday. So I was really disappointed when I woke up and my arm wasn't sore. But by Tuesday evening, I have to say, I felt rough. You know, I had a temperature, I felt ill, my body was aching, felt really sorry for myself. Um, and it lasted probably around 24 hours. Nothing that paracetamol didn't sort out. So, yeah, that, but that's to be expected. I think after you have the vaccine, parents had no side effects. Husband, um, well, he's a man, so, you know, man flu, you know, side effects every time. It's but a real thing, Simon. It's a real thing. It exists. That's, Dilly, that's a whole other podcast, man flu. We, uh, could, we could deal with that in a whole hour. But yeah, you will expect side effects. So I think if you have the vaccine, 24 to 48 hours of side effects is to be expected and nothing that won't get better with a bit of paracetamol and rest. So, you know, when you said earlier that you can still get the virus even after the vaccination, right? Yeah. Is that the case with all vaccinations? TB, well, we have the meningitis, uh, all of them. All, all vaccines, how do they work? They don't all work in exactly the same way. So, for example, if we have the polio vaccine, yeah, you're not la we don't have polio, do we? We don't have measles, mumps and rubella, no. but we have the flu vaccine each year, don't we? But we yeah, still we get the flu, yeah? So we still get milder versions of the illness, and this works in the same way as that. Okay. Tell me the process. Is it a one-time injection and you're sorted, or is there a process, is there a stage? No, there's two injections for each one. So at the moment in this country, we've got Pfizer, we've got the Oxford vaccine, the um, AstraZeneca. Yeah, yeah. Um, so both of them are two injections, okay? You need to have, at the moment, we're saying that the two injections are 12 weeks apart. And I know there's a little bit of debate over the, the spacing of the Pfizer vaccine, because in trials, they've shown that the spacing should be... Well, the trials were done on a spacing of around 21 days, but the government at the moment, because of the way they want the vaccines rolled out, has increased the gap between the two doses to 12 weeks. But I know recently there has been some discussion over, look, we need to bring that gap down to six weeks. Um, so I know those discussions are ongoing. So two doses, when you have your first injection, so you have the injection and your body mounts a response and you create antibodies to the virus. That way, when you get infected again, then you will have, um, so you get mount antibodies and you also create T cells. Now the antibodies don't last that long, but the T cells are like memory cells and they last mm -hmm. a lot longer. So that when you get infected by the virus itself, you end up, 
um, kind of activating the T cells and they know exactly what to do to kind of fight the virus and therefore you get a milder illness. But you need to have both jabs, okay? So after the first jab of Pfizer, there's a lot of figures floating around about how effective it is and I've got the fit it's about 52% for the Pfizer after the first jab and it's around 60 62 65% for the Oxford jab but you need to have the second jab to sort you know to make the vaccination work effectively okay. Sabah look I'm going to posit to you the same question that I asked Dr Bilal before you and I'm going to ask Dr Abdul Wahid straight after the way you have spoken about the vaccine its importance its safety and so forth wouldn't you essentially say that as a doctor? You are what, what's regarded as a medical establishment woman, right? You'd say this. I, I wouldn't expect anything anything different no, to that. I, listen, right, Dilly, I've had this. You know, you're the, the voice of the government and all this, okay? If you look at my social media, I'm definitely not a mouthpiece for the government, okay? No, I, know, I know that. I know that. You know, know that, that, okay? Know that. Right, so it's not like um, I'm just going to say the government says jump and I go, yes, of course, how high, let's just do it, okay? No, no, but you are part of the medical establishment. I'm part of the medical establishment. That, that doesn't mean that I can't take information, critically look at it, and then advise my patients accordingly, okay? Because at the end of the day, I have a duty to my patients to make sure that what I do is to keep them safe and to protect them. When the vaccine came out, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't, I was a little bit hesitant, okay? I discussed it with my husband and I was like, look, I need to do more reading around it. I'm a little bit hesitant myself to get the vaccine. Um, and that's me as a medical person, okay? Because of how quick it came out is that is that was that one of your main concerns yeah i think it was a couple of things you know new technology how quickly it came out i didn't i hadn't read the trials i didn't understand about why the trials were done so quickly so i went away and i did some reading and i think this is where you've got to make an informed decision but you've got to make sure the information is coming from trusted sources not random whatsapp messages so i did my reading and from my understanding of what i've read so far I feel that at this moment in time, the safest and the, the best thing to do is have the vaccine. I don't know what the side effects of this vaccine are in 10 years. I don't think anyone knows what the side effects are in 10 years. We don't have that information yet. The vaccine's not been around long enough, okay? Mm. But I do know, because I see what COVID is doing and the fact that it's killing so many people, it can randomly, you know, affect people of different ages. You just don't know who it's going to effect and I'm starting to see the long-term effects of COVID okay so we're already seeing that so based on that information and from what I've read I would say at this very moment in time the vaccine is safe I understand that how it's been rolled out how the trials have been done and safety has been taken into consideration I would say get the vaccine it might be in a year or two the information is very different yeah, I can't tell. I can only go off what I know right now. And right now, as a doctor, as a as just not even a doctor, just as a person, I would say that I think it's safe to have the vaccine. Um, in terms of your research, there's been various concerns that have been raised uh, by Muslims and non-Muslims, but one specifically that's been raised is that any effects that it can have on fertility. Have you looked into this? 
I've had a look a little bit into that because um, I've had patients. What we have is we have guidance given by the government and there have been trials and a few of my colleagues have looked at this as well, you know, particularly those that want children in mm. the future. And at the moment, there's no evidence to say, look, you know, it's going to have any impact on fertility. So they're saying that if you're pregnant, not to have the vaccine unless you're at high risk of getting COVID and the benefits of having the vaccine over being pregnant, etc. And they're saying that as soon as your pregnancy is finished, you can have the vaccination. But in terms of fertility, I haven't read anything concrete, yeah, to say, mm. look, don't have this if you're planning on having children. Um, bring your segment to a close. At the time of the recording of this podcast, we're on Sunday, the 24th of January. Um, for, for, if I'm correct, there's been four million I've taken the vaccine. Yeah, just over four million. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's your general thoughts on the UK government's uh, policy, their rollout policy of the vaccine? Yeah, okay. just to be clear, Dilly, right? Four thousand people have had the jab. Oh, no, four million, just over four million have had the jabs. Okay, it doesn't mean they're vaccinated. Yeah, because they've not had both doses. Ah, oh, trust. So four million have had the first injection. First injection. Yeah, I think the figures. Um, uh, you need to check the government website, but I think the figures of those that have had both doses is around four hundred thousand. Okay. Yeah. So when we say. Four million, we need to be clear, four million people have had their first doses. Yeah, okay. so they're not fully protected. So In terms of rollout, okay, you asked me about rollout. I can understand why, because of the way, because of the storage of the Pfizer vaccine, I understand why we had to do it as big hubs. Yeah, mm. we had to work together as a hub. The delivery gets dropped at the hub and patients from a group of GP practices go along to the hub to get vaccinated. We're only doing the over 70s and high risk at the moment. Now the Oxford vaccine is available, I very much feel that they should be given to pharmacies and to GP practices. So like we do with the flu, we should be able to vaccinate our own patients. I Time think... to make lots of money. No, 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 no. Look, right. Someone asked me this question. Money. and as much as I would look, as much as I would love to drive a Lambo, yeah, I don't. Okay, <laughs> right. And I think the Times wrote something about GPs are set to make millions from this. I'd love to meet that GP. Okay, yeah. we're not. Delete is twelve pounds per vaccine. Okay, twelve pounds that covers all your staffing costs. There is zero money to be made. One hundred percent zero money. In fact, I know of primary care networks that are in a loss that are just covering the costs themselves, okay? And GPs and pharmacists, they're actually working in their spare time just as volunteers to vaccinate. So there really is no money to be made in this, okay? Really, there yeah. isn't. Yeah, we could talk about that in a year. If you drop a Lambo or a Rari, we can then... Yeah, if I'm see. driving a Lambo Oris, right, in yeah, yeah. a year, you can come back to me and I'll come back okay. on. Okay, but look, in terms of... Do you think there's anything that the UK government uh, could have done better in terms of its rollout policy? I think they should have rolled out the vaccinations a lot faster. They should have probably let, um, the, as soon as the Oxford vaccine came out, let pharmacists and GPs just start rolling it out. I think giving us a bit more um, autonomy, because we do this every year. We do the flu jab every year. We know how to do it um, and just let us get on with it. But I think there have been a lot of kind of tied your hands in a lot of ways in the contracts that we've signed. I think we could have, if we'd just been allowed to just get on and do it without all the red tape, potentially we could have rolled it out a lot faster. Cyber, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, 
rest up. Actually, no, Thank you can't you. rest up. You're making. I'm gonna food. go start cooking now. You, you, you Get go, 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 and start cooking. You got ghost and chicken and stuff to make. Yeah, anyway, yeah. But but look, listen. May Allah protect you, protect your family, keep safe, and um, and, you. and I look forward to having you on again in the future, outside of the pandemic, inshallah. Yeah, I look forward to the man flu podcast. Okay, yeah, but we can't we can't have a woman talking about the man flu. That's a, that's a subjective perspective. You're gonna be biased. I, you, no, 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 no. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it with my doctor hat on. It'll be fine. Okay, man flu, <laughs> listeners, viewers, man flu is real. Yeah, it's real. <coughs> Take care, Dilly. Take care, Saba. Salakum. Waalaikumsalam. And last but not least, we have another guest who we had great pleasure in having on last year during the COVID series. He's a dear brother of mine, a friend, uh, an advisor, a mentor. And that's none other than GP and also the chairman of Hizb Tahrir UK, Dr. Abdul Wahid. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Dili, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. Was the big up introduction good enough? Uh, not really. No, okay, it doesn't matter. Okay, okay fine. There'll have to be a Hi, fair uh, take. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, Akhi. How are you? I'm well, Alhamdulillah. I'm well. You keeping, you keeping well? Work busy? Family okay? It's busy. Alhamdulillah, family's all okay, mashallah. Um, it's busy. It's busy because work is busy. I, I, I didn't feel in the first lockdown that life changed for me a lot in terms of uh, work-wise because obviously I you know, can't really work from home in, 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 as a doctor. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, it, it, it is very busy at the moment. It feels it, to be honest, mashallah. Alhamdulillah. So, so like those who came on before you, Dr. Simon, Dr. Bilal, they all said that comparatively, it's mm. significantly more busier in terms of workload, in terms of what they're seeing. Um, is this, so I'm assuming the same for you, right? Yes, I think there's a few reasons. Winter, we're in winter rather than spring and summer. And we've got all the people with all the winter illnesses as well. Mm. And, and in the first wave, when the government said to lockdown originally, People really like just buried themselves at home. Even people with legitimate medical problems yep. didn't come, and and we were all a bit surprised by that. We were expecting, uh, and and so uh, we were expecting some work to carry on, but people didn't show up. And by the end of a you know nine months or a year, people aren't willing to go through that again. You know, so people are, despite the fact that they've been told the NHS is on a limited service at the moment. People are still coming with their their problems because they're problems and they they want help. Um, so there's a limit to how much you can postpone uh, at the moment. So it is very it, it does feel very busy. And what the the thing now the reason why it's so important is that most GP practices are trying to free up as much time so that staff, doctors, nurses, others can contribute to the the local vaccination programs that are going on. Um, mm. So it's it's it is busy, but mashallah, I don't I don't like to complain because alhamdulillah, I'm I'm fortunate. I have work. I'm in a job. I'm not one of those people who uh, has lost their job. Alhamdulillah, no one in my immediate family has um, has been ill. Uh, we've lost we've lost a, 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 some dear family overseas to COVID. Um, some very elderly uncles of mine have passed away through the COVID, um, Allah give them rahmah. Amen. But alhamdulillah, everyone here has been well and healthy. And I pray you and your family and all, all the brothers and sisters watching uh, have been safe in Allah's protection. 
Inshallah, I mean um, You've taken the vaccine or the first jab? I've had both actually I've oh. had both Yes, okay. yes In, in my neighbourhood they decided Anyone they had done the first one for Rather than reorganising the schedule They would go ahead and give the second one And then any new ones after that They'd follow the local guidelines on that and yeah, are, are So you, I've had are, both Okay, are you feeling 20, 30 years younger Or any superpowers emerging or anything? Uh, definitely not. Uh, okay. Definitely not. Definitely not. Not anything <laughs> significant. You know, a little bit of an achy arm after the second dose. A little bit of a kind of fluy, shivery feeling for twenty-four hours. Uh, but Alhamdulillah, nothing more than that. Yeah, that, when, that's that's what most people have had, really. When you joined us uh, during the first wave, uh, I think it was yeah. last April, we briefly spoke yes. about uh, your elderly mother. Um, yes, mashallah. how is how is Auntie? She okay? Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, she's okay. She's got her, she's got her first dose scheduled for later this week. Actually, um, okay. She was a bit, she was a bit reluctant. Um, when I was going for my uh, first dose, she phoned a friend of hers who's a who's a retired doctor who uh, who put the fear of the vaccine into her. Who like basically said, "Oh, you're not, you're not going to have the vaccine made from dead babies." Yeah. Yeah, uh, which was a sh- you know I got home from my first dose of vaccine. She was like, "Do you know what this vaccine? You know what this vaccine uh, has in it?" I was like, "Come on, are you are you serious?" I was I was shocked actually that somebody could uh, a, re- a retired doctor though, a retired doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in such in such kind of emo- emotive terms. I mean, I think we're going to talk about some of these we issues, are. but we are. but but I think I think. Um, there are legitimate concerns people have, and if you, as a viewer, have your own concerns, Alhamdulillah, this is this is normal human nature. You can't, you can't. Nobody is the same on these things. But 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 to start almost like a campaign where you're putting your concerns, ill-informed concerns, in a very emotive and scary way to other people, which can have consequences. Is 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 not right? Actually, this is not uh, this is not uh, the the correct way uh, according to Islam. I mean, I mean, I think one of the ironies is that um, you are someone who, part of your dawah and activism, uh, generally speaking, are very consistent in being critical of government policies, right, and governments themselves. But I believe you had a Facebook exchange where. Uh, there were some uh, accusations were thrown about you, perhaps you and doctors generally who are pushing for the vaccine to be uh, spokespeople and stooges for the government. Uh, mm. and, and people who know Dr. Abdul Wahid and government stooge doesn't go well, does it? It's like to uh, it, it, it was it was a shock. I mean, to be honest with you, some of the some of the accusations from brothers and sisters are. At first, I wasn't sure if there were jokes, yeah. <laughs> and then, then when I like saw the threads, uh, and people's emotions were very high, and one or two people, one brother, very sincerely, mashallah, he 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 kind of apologized, and we and in the end, and uh, and actually, the thing that apologized, he started making certain kind of almost like accusations that I'm towing a government line, and I just listened to government like. Uh, blindly and and i and i actually had to respond to him and say look you know what bro this government if they had this their way with me uh, back in the mid to late late 2000s they would have killed you with literally 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 put people like me in a life life sentence in prison for organizing 
Islamic Dawah activity. That was the threat that they were trying to carry back in the back in the late uh, in the late two thousands under their kind of war on terror legislation. So, uh, and and I'm you know the Hezbollah Tahrir, the party I'm with, we, we have a good understanding of capitalism. We have a good understanding of the very dirty and corrupt relationship between corporations and politicians and and the fact that politicians don't all don't don't in in these capitalist states don't uh, primarily put the interests of their citizens first they put the interests of those with the owners of capital first yeah um and and yet based and and I think this makes it very hard this now this this you can then go from that understanding to very extreme ideas without really good information it does make a trust problem doesn't it that in the end this what it's with any thing any policy in a functioning state not democratic state you're talking about any state in a functioning state there has to be a degree of trust between the rulers and the ruled um and you've seen that breaking down all over the world all right and most dramatically probably recently in the USA haven't we yeah, where yeah. you know like half the population thinks Joe Biden is a usurper. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that's that's a the kind of terminology we use in uh, in you know in 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 the history of Islam. Yeah. yeah. But you know the kind of schisms that creates in yeah, in countries when you know. So uh, there there's a massive trust deficit these days and that's played out with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. I mean before we get into issues pertaining to trust and, and holding government accountable and so forth. Just want to pick on that sample uh, example that you gave about auntie being told by one of her retired yes. doctor friends that you took the vaccine with dead babies in it. Yeah. Look, look, it, it, are Muslims exceptionally prone? Are, are we like a special group of people who love a good old conspiracy theory that it was the Jews who had Monday off that, uh, that, that, Planned 9-11 or you know, like, what, We have theories You know It wasn't Bin Laden Al-Qaeda behind this And everything's a false flag And everything's You know Targeted at the The, the destruction of Islam And Muslims and, and these kind of things Right Some some of these Conspiracies and claims Are grounded In a long history Of deception uh, And false flag and, 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 and you know Espionage operations In the Muslim world We get that Right We get that yeah. If there's yeah. if there's If there's a group Of any people In the whole world I should be critical mm. of these things and suspicious. It's the Muslims, right? Mm. But are we, because of that reality, are we exceptionally more vulnerable and prone to a good old conspiracy and 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 and, and just circulating it without verifying information? Or are we like any other people, uh, any other groups within society? Yeah, I, I think I. Th I mean, I, in the short answer is, I think we're like any other group in society. Um, I think the the long answer is that. Uh, first of all, conspiracy theory is, its we know it's a pejorative term, isn't it? It's a of term course. used to attack people with ideas that you think are wrong or invalid or Absolutely. extreme yeah. yeah, or not founded on any basis. Yeah. Um, and we, you and I know that there are many things out there which are called conspiracy theories, where, which have uh, some basis in maybe not in truth is is too strong always but they have some valid basis for questioning what's going on yeah okay so whether it's the whole 9-11 thing whether it's the, the issue of vaccines whether it's even QAnon which I don't see that that's originated from Muslims that's originated yeah. in the US you know, that, you know the QAnon advocates would probably look at Jeffrey Epstein 
right? Yeah. And, and the circle of people and this elite group of people who he circulated amongst operating outside the norms of law, huge mm. protection from, from, uh, politicians, you know, legal, legal people. Uh, and then they, they piece all. Now, to have that concern and then translate that into, you know, there's a, there's a cabal of pedophiles that like run the world it is, is, is the, where you get into the label of conspiracy theory. But, mm. but the, the, the concern may originate in something valid and often, often they do. And it's maybe one of the flaws of, of, of logical thinking where your first base premises are slightly out, your conf conclusions can often be very out. Um, uh, and so I think um, we aren't more prone. That being said, uh, there are some reasons why we probably... Um, uh, so I, when I say we are like everyone else, but there might be some reasons why Muslims uh, seem to come across more prone to these things. Uh, one is our population is generally younger, okay, yeah. and yeah. younger people more access to social media, less uh, less access to mainstream not less they don't not less access but probably less watching mainstream news media. Um, so uh, th this is one thing. Yeah, uh, another thing is we have been the subject of a lot of the the but of a lot of conspiracy theories, whether it's the- Including uh, COVID-19, including its spread. Co yes, COVID-19, the spread, uh, war on terror uh, theories out there, the, 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 the grooming, grooming gang things, Trojan horse. You know, frankly speaking, we've been the butt of a lot of lies. So, yeah. uh, and, and I think the third thing, it, it boils down to trust. You know, actually some of the data out there suggests that, um, a, a, a large number of people, not, not just Muslim, but from BAME backgrounds, yeah, minority uh, black and, and minority ethnic backgrounds, mm. uh, have less trust in the vaccine than uh, the white UK population. And part of that will be age, no doubt, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as I say, but, but also part of that will be that we have less to, people people who feel they have less to trust the establishment for uh, generally trust the establishment less mm. and and that there therein lies part of the dilemma i think um so we aren't more prone but uh some i have to say some of the some of the muslims who are affected by the argument get pretty evangelical about it very <laughs> they re yeah very because yeah. it nearly becomes a matter for iman and kufr for some of the brothers who've been rolling uh, yeah. yeah definitely but definitely. um but on the issues of trust in government and and and, and transparency and, and obviously the dirty and murky relationship that governments have with organizations like big pharma and so forth right are you now saying that to have for there to be a level of scrutiny and critical thinking pertaining to the vaccine is justified based on the distrust of government. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and let's just start. Regardless of government, it's a new technology and a new technology which you're asking healthy people to take, which is uh, in its early days. So, you know, whilst we can say with some degree of confidence, I'm sure your other contributors have already said this, you can say with some degree of confidence when millions of people around the world have taken uh, the, the, the new vaccines, 
you can the short-term side effects aren't substantially different to other medications and other vaccines. Mm. We don't know the long-term effects. So, so th these are these are legitimate things. So, I, you know, if somebody says to me, "I'm not sure," I'd say, "Well, you know, that's a reasonable thing not to be sure because we're we're in the early days of any medicine, any treatment like this, and some of it is new technology. The the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine and the Moderna vaccine are actually new vaccine technologies they're all called the mrna vaccines mm. and 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 so th this is all legitimate this is all legitimate questions and and you know the difference for somebody like yourself taking it you know young man like you yeah uh, versus an old man like me versus an even you know an old man's parent yeah are, are three different risks from the disease of covid-19 and so when you balance up you know whether or not somebody should take uh, the, a vaccine where we know the short-term side effects, but we don't know the long-term, well, I'd say for somebody of my mum's generation, for me, it's a no-brainer, actually. I think I really think we know enough about the short-term effects of a vaccine and the, the, the dangers of COVID-19 to somebody of her age group to say, on balance, I would go for it, yeah? So you're, uh, so, so you're saying in terms of a kind of on a muslaha muslaha calculus the benefits of taking the covid-19 outweighs the harm of not taking it if especially if you fall into that vulnerable category uh, absolutely and and this is the same with every medicine every every intervention you and i you know uh, if if you if you, in origin it's haram for you or me to harm ourselves right yeah. so for me to just deliberately take a pin and stick it in my arm there's no basis for that islamically to deliberately harm my own body of right? course. So, so when I ask somebody to stick a pin in me to give me a vaccination or take a blood test, there needs to be a reason for it, okay? From which is valid reason from the Sharia mm. to 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 do something. So I have to look to. So every every medicine has a risk. Even paracetamol has a risk versus a benefit. Okay. Mm. So so this is no different to that. And nobody and and we live in a world where too many people think that science is an absolute 100% truth because Western societies have relied on empirical uh, data and thinking for everything. And their own, they're very, even you read, the, you follow the mainstream media, they're pretty ignorant when it comes to scientific uh, understanding. The, the, average per, the average person in the media here, they've, they've had a fast education in the last year, actually. Yep. They, you know, they can't understand why there's not 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 so much certainty around things so for me uh it's it's uh you know sorry your your question originally was around the concerns valid concerns so just just on this this is the way we should be thinking anyway right if you then add to that that in the uk you've seen a government dealing with this pretty incompetently right the way they they failed to uh, restrict travel in the first instance. They failed to get an, a, a valid test and trace strategy forward. They put their friends in positions of authority over people who are competent. Yeah, uh, the, the woman who used to run Talk Talk is the one who's running test and trace. Yeah. You know, it's like you know why she's their mate basically, but they seem to think she's got some credentials for it. Uh, you know, the uh, the procurement of PPE complete fiasco and given contracts given to people who've never dealt with this stuff before uh, and and when they deliver it's not always up to scratch so you have even more doubts 
if you then go beyond that to see what the attitudes of a particular government are towards minority people, black people, Asian people, Muslim people, you've got even more valid concerns. If you then go on an understanding of the system and the relationship between politics and business, if you look back over previous examples of where big corporations and politicians have got it massively wrong and there's been serious public harm, these are all valid concerns, Dilly. You, nobody can say they're not valid concerns. and They're valid reasons for people to feel less trusting. The problem uh, you have, the, well, the, the, I think not the problem, the, the thing you have, though, is that there, there is ways we always, in life, we make judgments to the best of our ability, all right? Mm -hmm. So when I get in my car, I don't start, like, immediately trusting Mercedes or Nissan or Toyota or Ford and thinking these people have my interests at heart, yeah? And I don't immediately think they're independent of the politicians when they make their regulations about vehicles, that they make them independent of uh, public safety or with Boeing or Airbus and flights. Yeah, mm. you don't, you don't, you actually use your best judgment to think, well, is it, is it likely that they cut big corners on flight safety? Right. This government, Bennett, wants to benefit capitalists absolutely they know that a lot of disasters in flights will create problems uh, to the in capital economy. Of the economy yeah, of course for, it's to the economy so it's in their interests of what they look out for sure to have a degree of regulation so i may not think they're working in my interests but i still understand at the end there is i can probably i can probably rely on things to be safe and and it's it's a similar kind of scenario with this they 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 you know this is a capitalist conservative government that is making middle business middle sized businesses and and fair, a fair number of large businesses suffer and their own economy really really weaken uh uh by doing what they're doing and and really is it in their interest to try and harm people at this time just to boost the profits of pharmaceutical companies of course it's not of course it's not so i don't i don't and and out there there are many many doctors scientists uh statisticians and and just intelli intelligent switched on people who are trying to scrutinize the data the best they can and they're not linked to a corporation always and they're not linked to a politician always and there'll be plenty of muslim ones amongst them who who will be looking and saying, yeah, you know what? On balance, I think there is this, you know, this particular product. It has some validity. It's got about a reasonable safety profile compared to other things in the short term. We don't know long term. There's a there's a lot lot of things out there that can help us, and that's what we have to do in the absence of having trust in in politicians who who really in the end are there to make those decisions for people, really. Br bringing bring our segment to a close and the podcast to a close i want to ask you a question yeah. which i asked you when you joined me last time doing the first wave yeah and that is being the chairman of a jamaa of an islamic party who let's be frank about you know constantly and consistently criticizing 
Western governments, yeah. Western policies, their handling of various issues pertaining to society and its citizens, right? I'm a chairman of a committee within the party, by the way. So, okay. Yeah, okay. So, okay. Sorry for this. Yeah, just yeah, that yeah that's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so with regards to that, how would you? So, so currently, the UK government's rolled out 400,000 people have been given. They've been vaccinated. They've had the two jabs. Yeah. Four million yeah. have had the, the the single jab. Yeah. How would you envisage? A hypothetical Islamic government who rules holistically and comprehensively sure. with, su- with such an issue of vaccine rollout. How would they mitigate conspiracies within the state and false rumours? How would so you... I, I- yeah, so I think I think a, a future Khilafah will have to think about this because actually every state has pandemic on their radar as a significant security risk for them. And and they, they do. They all have it. And it's one reason why you can say the British government really failed massively and the US because they, they, in, in their scenario, security scenarios, it's way down the bottom events. It's there. It's on the list, and and it's they've been. There's been a concern about a major flu pandemic or Ebola pandemic or a SARS or MERS outbreak for for many years. So, but where, but where do you think it was on the list of risks? There could you, know, you know, you know, it, it was there. It was there on the risk because because when SARS broke out in the Far East. Um, there, everyone here was on standby that this could come here. So it's it's a known reality. And just because we're getting through COVID-19, don't think it's gone away. There's nothing to say that next year there couldn't be a, a serious flu pandemic across the world, yeah, like of, of a variety that significantly harms. So um, every state has a duty to do that. And the Khilafah would be no different. Uh, I think where we hope things would be different is the degree of trust between the ruler and the rule would be would be different to what it is in these states here. And the degree of cooperation between the citizens and the, the, the state would not be quite the same it is in these secular liberal societies where there is a large percent large minority of people that don't like being told what to do yeah and will still have parties and still go celebrating and still go to durham castle or whatever barnard Mm. castle in durham and stuff because they think they're above the rules yeah so um i think those things are important i think the khalifa has a responsibility as we spoke in the last podcast to deal with pandemics according to sharia so there are some sharia rules in terms of uh isolating the outbreak zone so people don't go in don't go out uh separating the sick from the healthy so it's not about locking down entire societies straight away it's literally about trying to really identify those who are sick and keeping them away from those who are healthy and and in fact in the in the context of covid-19 i think you would have to have a very very rigorous testing strategy to identify who's positive but asymptomatic and keep them out of circulation as well. Mm. Um, and, um, and and the vaccination comes in as part of it. In, in, in Islam, we have rules about health. Seek the treat, treatment, Rasulullah yes. said. All right? It's mandub to seek treatment. And for communicable diseases which affect whole societies, it becomes incumbent on the state to provide vaccination as... Uh, offer offer it to people, offer it to people, and roll it out 
not dissimilar to what we're seeing, actually. I have to say, of all the criticisms I can have of the British government, the, the, in Britain, the, the vaccine rollout hasn't been that bad, actually. It's been quite surprisingly smooth um, so far. Um, would it be mandatory? Allah knows best. I don't think so. Uh, generally, seeking treatment is mandub in Islam. Uh, there will be circumstances where a, a Khalifa, like any government, can make certain things mandatory, wearing seat belts or these things. Uh, I, I think the threshold on this particular disease and this particular vaccine, there's no state in the world I've seen yet that's made it mandatory. And that's in part because it's what I've said. It's giving people, healthy people, treatment, which is not yet fully tested, not yet fully understood. Uh, and where the disease affects a small number of people very badly, but everybody else not too badly, okay? I think the, to, to make the balance of judgment that you make this compulsory, like some people have suggested in Khilafah, I think is a very poor case if they say that. I don't think that's, that meets the standard that you would get in a Khilafah because even there's no consensus from experts at the moment to say it should be mandatory. Rather, it should be encouraged, uh, for people, especially the most vulnerable people. And that, that's really uh, my view, that, that, that we should be encouraging the most vulnerable people. Uh, but it's not compulsory for anybody. Uh, that's a hard thing to, to push. So, the, and, and the other thing I think Khilafah would have to do, because we, as you know, in Islam, we don't see the, uh, Islam in the form of a polity as an inward-looking thing. It's an outward-looking outward. thing. Dawah to humanity is something that is at the heart of any Islamic state. So the absence of global leadership, the absence of cooperation, what they call vaccine nationalism, should be, should be absent with an Islamic state in the world, actually. Because the, these are the issues which require states in the world to work together and, and the fact that there's not been discussed... I mean, imagine this, Dili. In the 2008 financial crisis... All these governments came together to figure out how together, collectively, something mm. that was affecting all of them, they could bail out banks. And yet in the 2020 COVID pandemic... That collaboration wasn't there, that global collaboration wasn't there. Just, that global collaboration is just not there. And in fact, it's, it's more than that. It's like countries that have PPE want to keep it for themselves and they're buying up as much vaccine as they can. And, and, now, but, and this is not right. But, but, uh, and, but, and it's... But, but, but wouldn't a future Khilafah prioritize the, the preservation of its own citizens above the others? Oh, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to. But I think you'd recognize in the dis research and development stages of these things, why aren't we discussing this more? Why aren't we sharing information so we get to a solution quicker? And yes, the Khilafah would have responsibility to manufacture enough vaccine for its own citizens. But it, it, I think it would have on its radar how you help particularly those poorer countries that can't uh, have access to vaccine. And, and you, you see this to some extent in how some of these other states with their own motivations of trying to influence other countries. China, for example, is providing vaccines to uh, other countries. Now, I don't see that as a humanitarian thing. I see that as part of China's global strategy. Of course, soft power. In, in, yeah. In, 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 yeah, soft power around the yeah. world. We, we have a motivation which comes from... Uh, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا Yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this ummah 
the the just ummah, the middle ummah. So there's there's an ummah-based role for this ummah in the world. Yeah, uh, and, and so witnessing over mankind. Now that's not down to a billion plus Muslims to do individually. That that needs to be realized by the one you appoint as your Amir. It's civilizational, that is. It's, it is civilizational. Mm. So, and we know this from the past in various mm. different khulafa, helping countries in famine and these kind of things. It was, it was seen as part of their, their role uh, and from an Islamic basis. So uh, I, I think that that would be something we, we should think about and we should understand that comes from Islam and... Uh, and, and it's it's been missing in the world. It's really shocking. It's, it gives you some idea in what a bad state the world is in today. Uh, that there there's so little cooperation over this global pandemic. Dr. Abdul Wahid, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, inshallah, inshallah, we can have you on again, definitely, but outside of this circumstance, inshallah. Inshallah, Dili. Next time, inshallah, face to face. Inshallah, inshallah, definitely. But I am, I am not going to challenge you to an arm wrestle because I think you'll beat me. <laughs> Sheikh, you're very kind. Yeah. Take, take I'd care. Cheat. I'd, prob- I'd probably cheat. <laughs> now I'm curious as to how you would cheat to win in an arm wrestle. Ah, uh, very, very easy, bro. Very easy. Are you ticklish? <laughs> okay, stop it now. I'm getting ticklish just the mere thought of it. Abdullah, take care. Give my convey my salams to your family. May Allah protect Wa-alaikum. you, your family, and your loved ones, and the believers. Ameen. 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 Salam alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Brothers and sisters, friends and foes, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast Season 2. I just want to thank uh, our guests, Dr. Bilal Patel, Dr. Saima Iqbal, Dr. Abdul Wahid. And all the doctors, Muslim and non-Muslim who are out there uh, doing a great work, you know, exhausting themselves uh, in the service of uh, the fellow citizens and mankind. Uh, we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects us all and our loved ones from this virus. I mean, um, as it's season two, you can now find our podcast in our own channel on all the platforms under Blood Brothers Podcast. Um, like this video, share this video, leave a comment, subscribe to the channel. And until next time, Salaamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. Blood Brothers Podcast, a five pillars production.